Scuba Obsess is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 66 was recorded live Thursday, May 12th, 2011. Welcome to episode 66. This week, a few of the items that we'll be covering in the news, or we might jump around and choose not to cover them, but we have a flood recovery campaign helping a dive firm, Mussels in Candlewood Lake, 19th century shipwreck found, and then a scuba diver sets new depth record in New Zealand. And then we also have a guest this week. But before that, I'd like to introduce guest co-host who's been filled in for Jim. Mac, how you doing, Mac? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here tonight. Glad you have have you here. And we, we finally got that weather we've been hoping for. They actually, uh, some of the lakes are starting to warm up, meaning you don't need uh, mitts. You can wear regular gloves. On the surface, you don't even need gloves, which is always a plus. Oh, that is. And then our special guest this week is Claire, a.k.a. Dive Bunny, is her Twitter handle. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm very well. How are you guys? Doing great. And... Uh, Claire, you're calling us from Egypt. I am, yes. It's kind of the middle of the night at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, so I set my alarm to get up and chat with you guys. And scuba. Well, that is great. We're glad to have you on the program and appreciate you getting up so early. I know that's rough. I, <laughs> I, I love my sleep, so I know how difficult that can be. I will be going back to bed later. <laughs> So uh, what we'll go ahead and do is we'll go ahead and start with the interview. Uh, we want to have Claire on and so she can share with us a little bit of what it's like over there in diving. You're in Egypt. Uh, you're employed in the scuba industry. What is it that you do? I am. I'm a diving instructor. I work for one of the larger dive centers in Sharm el-Sheikh. And I work as a dive guide, diving instructor, and we're generally quite busy, so it's pretty much full on most days. We do get days off if we ask for them, but you can find yourself working seven days a week if you don't ask for a day off. <laughs> oh, you, you, you got to keep up on that. Yeah, you, you kind of have to support yourself every so often to take a break, otherwise you'll, you will get worn out. And it's not good for you, as, as we all know, to go diving every single day because it's a bit too much. On the body-wise, it's not the best. But, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I can't complain, really. The diving is really quite spectacular. So how long have you been diving? Um, I've been diving for 10 years, and I've been working in Sharm for six. So I'm kind of a resident here, part of the furniture. So what got you interested in scuba diving? What prompted you to take your open water? Really random. I, t- I tried snorkeling once and thought, oh, it's just like on the telly, as you do. And thought it was absolutely fantastic. And what I thought was about 10 minutes, it turned out to be an hour and a half. And I was on holiday, did a couple of intro dives. Again, that was in Egypt, but in Havada, where they literally just drag you down and show you a bit of reef, show you a few fish. And I thought that was blinding. So a year later, I came over here and learned to dive. And yeah, the rest. I just kept diving and then came out here to do the instructor course and get a bit of experience and stayed. Wow. 
Now, now, where was the location of your first dive? My first, my first scuba dive was in Hagaba, which is again in the Red Sea, but across the water on mainland Egypt. Okay. And um, very similar conditions to Sham, really. Um, nice warm water, very good visibility, similar kind of um, sea life as well, very pretty tropical type fish. So I've been spoiled. Oh, it sounds like it. Now, <laughs> now, if I was to go over there and, and dive at your resort, what is it that I, what diving opportunities would I have? Well, um, we, we've got a little bit of everything. That's what I do love about it. We've got reef diving. Uh, we've got very gentle reefs with sandy bottoms, which is perfect, obviously, for novice divers and you know, anyone who's a little bit dusty. And um, we also have some glorious drop-offs and wall diving with fabulous corals and very nice currents that again bring in all the nutrients. Uh, there's an area called Ras Mohammed, which is a national park, and that's got some spectacular dives. One of the best one is Shark Nulanda, just an amazing dive. You've got a wall dive, you've got a bit of a wreck, you've got the chance of seeing large pelagics there as well. And you've got an area called the Turan Straits, again, very much wall dives, quite strong currents. But again, there's currents bringing all those nutrients, so you've got some spectacular reefs through there. And again, always the chance of um, a big thing. And we've also got a couple of wrecks nearby as well, most famous of which must be the Thistleborn which is huge. It sank in World War Two and has been sitting there ever since and covered in corals as well. So even if you're a fishy person, you know so much fish and sea life to see. But it's got all the t- tanks, the trucks, the motorbikes. It's even got bombs, it's got machine guns, hospital beds, a lot. It's incredible, incredible dive. So, yeah, we've, we've got a little bit of everything here. That's all in and around Charm itself. So not bad diving. Now, how does Sham done with the, you know, we saw the little bit of the protests going on in Egypt? Um, it was quite interesting. Um, had we not been watching the news, uh, which obviously we're watching every day, we would not have known that there was anything going on. Literally, um, it was business as normal. Yeah, There was not a single protest in Sham. And I think everyone was just too busy working. Obviously, we really noticed as different countries started to ban their visitors or close their doors to Egypt in general, we noticed the visitors plummet. And the only visitors that remained come February were British tourists because the English Foreign Office, or the British Foreign Office, were the only Foreign Office that actually said, you can still go to the Red Sea part of Egypt, but just don't go to Cairo, Alexandria, all the towns that were sort of in upheaval. But Sharm itself was completely untouched. As I said, it just got very, very quiet, like ridiculously quiet. Is it starting to come back now? It's starting. And Easter was quite busy, actually. And we're lucky because our dive centre is mainly full of English holidaymakers. So um, we've sort of kept a steady flow of work throughout. Um, we are starting to see other nationalities come back now. So it's, it's kind of at a nice level now because um, the dive sites are still quite quiet, which means that there's still lots of life going on. Uh, we've noticed a big rise in things like milkfish and eagle rays when the dive sites went quiet. You know, and you were having a whole dive site to yourself, which was quite unheard of over here. So as everyone comes back, I'm sure business will improve as well for everybody else. So what is your favorite dive that you have there? Um, it has to be Shark and Yolanda Reef, really. Um, it's, it's basically two big reefs, and it's right on the very, very tip of 
the Sinai Peninsula. So you've got the Gulf of Aqaba, the Gulf of Suez, and the Red Sea all converging on that one point. And even if nothing big shows up, it's just absolutely beautiful. It's covered in soft corals. And as I said, you get a bit of everything on that one dive. You start off with a, a massive wall that just plunges down to, well, it's actually 800 meters deep. And um, you've got a beautiful garden on the front of the Yolanda Reef. And then, as I said, there's the remains of the wreckage there as well. So you even get to have a little mosey round. It's actually often referred to as the toilet wreck because it was bringing in um, all the supplies to the hotel back in the late 70s, early 80s. So you've got loads of toilets there, wash basins, a few baths, that stuff. So it's quite cool to have a little mosey around there. And it's all covered in coral, as is everything. So it's very, very pretty. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Mm. <laughs> uh, Mac, do yeah, you have do you have any questions? No, it sounds like a really nice place. I'd like to go there. <laughs> yeah, you should. What are the cost of dives there? Um, the diving, it depends actually. You can get some quite good cheap uh, dive packages. I don't know about getting here from America. It might be a little bit more expensive. But, um, generally, you can uh, get a dive package for around about if you turn up on the door. Um, it's about 60 euros per day, which I'm trying to convert that into dollars on the top of my head. And dollars. Um, nine dollars, yeah, per day. Um, but if you book online ahead of time, you're talking, and this price is in pounds sterling, you can book like a six-day dive pack for 180 pounds, which is what, maybe about 250 dollars for six-day diving, which is not bad. That's not including kit hire, obviously. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do a lot of nitrox? Uh, yeah, all our staff dive on nitrox all the time. And um, we sell a lot of nitrox courses. It's very popular over here. Especially because we often do three dives in a day, three one-hour dives. So you can get quite drowsy after that. <laughs> That's one of the places we have to put on our list, I think. Yeah, I think so. Maybe I'll have to do a mud club excursion over to Egypt. Oh, you'd love it. Not very muddy, though. <laughs> Well, I, I think we could handle not having mud. I think you probably could. <laughs> so, any place in the world that you could dive, where would you like to go? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Um, I actually haven't dived as much as I would like to have done around the world. Um, I've always heard very good things about places like Sipidan and, um, and Chuck Lagoon as well. The wrecks in Chuck Lagoon would be quite spectacular. Um, I do like my, my reef diving, so I'm, and I'm afraid it would have to be warm. I am always so <laughs> <something> like that. <laughs> I'd love to look out for little um, oh, oh, tiny, tiny seahorses you can get on the Gorgonians. I think that's in Sipidan, actually, or Malaysia. That would be quite cool. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you on Truck Lagoon. That's one I would absolutely love to go to as well. Yeah, yeah I have friends who've dived there, and it does look quite, quite cool, really quite cool. Yeah, we have one of the dive shops in the area, and they, they try to make Truck Lagoon uh, well, about once every two to four years. Nice. nice. Mick has also dove the uh, Red Sea and over oh, in cool. Egypt. Yep, at uh, SAS Sub Aquatics out of Battle uh, Creek. They have had trips yeah. over there before. Oh, cool. It, the Red Sea in general is really, really cool. Uh, um, the visibility is very good. Uh, obviously, it's a desert, so we hardly get any rain. So, again, that helps keep that visibility looking quite spectacular. You get that real royal blue in the water, which is quite breathtaking. The first time you see it, it's, it really does take your breath away. 
So when, when you say good visibility, how how far is that? Um, oh, crikey, I'm not, I'm not very good at um, sort of judging it. So about 30 meters, which in... Um, just that'd be about that'd be about 90 93 feet maybe yeah of course it is yes yeah, yeah. yeah so um, that, 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 that <laughs> yeah I, I don't know mac if i know what uh 93 feet would look like i i don't know i had three feet yesterday and uh that was really good <laughs> i wouldn't know how to so occasionally, <laughs> very occasionally if it gets rough we do the visibility does drop and i have had it where I've um, barely been able to see my students. I've had them all hanging on to me, and me hanging on to them is just like maybe a meter or so visibility. That's very rare that that happens, but in the shallows, and if it, the wind comes from the south, then we're a bit unprotected. But generally, yeah, we can't visibility at all. Now, what kind of divers are you seeing? Are you seeing people come in uh, who have no diving experience and they, they get their class in open water there? or you see divers who are fairly experienced coming in. We get across the board. We have um, we have a connection with a big tour company as well. So we get people who probably may never learn to dive. We do quite a lot of discover scubas, uh, where literally we're just introducing it for the first time to people, take them through the first couple of skills, take them on a little baby dive, and and that's quite rewarding because obviously you see people. You know, blown away by it. And often they do go on to learn to dive. We have a lot of people coming out specifically to learn to dive. And we do get a lot of very experienced divers, really, you know, hundreds of dives coming out. We get quite a lot of regular guests as well who come back time and time again to dive the area and to dive with us as well. So that's quite nice. You often see familiar faces. So it's a little bit of everything, which is, again, it's makes it interesting work-wise as well. So you just don't get the time to get bored or the chance to get bored well. Now, one thing I've noticed about warm water dives is that I see a lot of people not wearing wetsuits. Is that pretty typical attire? Uh, in summer, yeah. In summer, most of the dive guides are in shorts and a rash vest. Yeah, more like they're going to go surfing and diving. Um, I must admit, I'm a bit of a wuss, so I think there's around about one week in late August or mid-August where I can do that. <laughs> I'm generally in a shorty. Uh-huh. And... Everyone would be horrified to know that in winter, a lot of us do wear dry suits. Oh. So, and it's, uh, compared to you guys, it's roasting hot over here. But I guess you get used to what you're doing every day. So, so in the summer, what, what's your peak temperature that you're experiencing? Uh, the peak air temperature, it can get up to 40, 45 degrees centigrade, which um, I'm going to convert that. <laughs> it's... It's, oh, it's over 100, I'm sure. Yeah, 113 Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. 45. More like 40, maybe 104. So it's in the 100 Fahrenheit. The sea uh-huh. temperature gets up to absolute max. It gets up into the 80s, mid, mid to high 80s. It's 30 degrees in the middle of summer. But in some of the little shallow areas, obviously, it can get up to the 30, 30s. No, 32, 33. 32. It feels like a hot bath, you know. Yeah. yeah but that's, right. that's only in the really shallow bits. Generally, it's around about 29 degrees, which is um, 84 degrees. Um, now, you, you're, what's, what's the coldest? The coldest? Oh, cold. We are getting embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> the, cold, the coldest I've felt here is 18 degrees, which is 64 Fahrenheit. 
but that's lately it hasn't been getting that cold it's been a lot warmer i don't know if that's global warming or just and, and you do dry suits and 64 degree water i know i know i'm gonna hang my head <laughs> the, what i will say my defense um we're doing like three dives a day sometimes and you get quite a strong northerly wind and the air temperature's about the same so if it's 20 degrees in water it's 20 degree air temperature so it's when you get out and you feel that wind chill and then you have to get back in again within within about just over an hour so we often wear dry suits just more for the comfort on the surface and the fact that you're getting into a nice dry suit as opposed to a chilly cold wet suit for the second dive but yeah i know i know you guys are sturdy divers <laughs> well we've got our share of uh dry suit divers all year round so they they'll they'll break out the wetsuit in the end of July beginning of August and complain that it's cold. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> uh, just just sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I know some advantages of cold water. Looking at the pictures you put up of um, in Iceland, I mean the visibility there that that rift just looks amazing. So every every area has its own benefit, doesn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's one of the nice things about when we do dives in the winter. That te- that seems to be when we have the best visibility. So, uh, if, yeah. if we if we don't find a way to adapt to that cold weather, then we miss out on that on that nice clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the same in England generally in the winter. People like going diving. You're saying you do dive on New Year's Day, and often people do a Boxing Day dive in the UK, and that again brings out the visibility. So. Here, here we don't have that function. <laughs> so, uh, is, is there a story behind your Twitter handle, uh, Dive Bunny? There is a little bit. I used to be a dancer. Uh, so, I just thought, thought oh, Jive Bunny, Dive Bunny. So, uh, I made a bit of a dramatic swap of career. That's how the name stuck. Um, that's it, really. Uh, I just thought it, it kind of had a nice ring to it. And,. Uh, and it went from there. I started up the website for women scuba divers, and it just evolved into this whole thing. <laughs> Did I hear you correctly? You said you were a doctor. No, I was a dancer. Oh, a dancer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's my accent. <laughs> yeah, I was a dancer. So I was thinking like jiving, jive funny, and diving, oh. jive funny. So that's how I came up with the idea in the, in the first place. Oh. So if people uh, want to follow you, uh, what's what's the best way? You're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Dive Bunny again. Twitter. Dive Bunny. Um, I pretty much managed to get Dive Bunny on on most social networks. So spelt with an IE as well because there's a couple of people with a Y on there. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll we'll post in the show notes uh, the link oh, information. So. Um, by the weekend, we should have the show notes up. Everybody who's listening, uh, head on over back to the website, and you'll be able to pick up information on how right. you can follow and, and, and be aware of what uh, is keeping Claire busy. Yeah. Actually, on Facebook, I think it's um, Dive Bunny site, or The Dive Bunny. It's The Dive Bunny, facebook.com forward slash The Dive Bunny. Well, that's great. Uh, now, anything else you think we should know before we head on to the rest of the show? Um. Not what I can think of. You've covered all the things that I thought you were going to cover. So that's, that's right. <laughs> no, well, it's been great chatting to you guys. Well, that's great. And uh, we, we hope that you uh, stay on through the news and provide some uh, input. Absolutely. Great. So uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to head into the news part of the program. Okay, so let's go ahead and start off with the first one. 
this one, and uh, I'm going to skip around, so I'll keep everybody on their toes. This one's out of Albuquerque. Scuba skydiving on tap for Winrock. A development company is proposing grandiose new plans for Albuquerque's old Winrock Mall, including a massive rock diving wall, indoor scuba diving, and indoor skydiving. One of the comments is somebody said, wouldn't it be great while you're parking your car to see someone in a scuba tank? So it looks like they're getting ready to uh, break ground. They're planning on having 100 shops, uh, 16-screen theater including IMAX, and some retail. So, Mac, would this be something that you'd you could see taking off? Well, I looked at that real quick, except the link I got is for mail, so I can't get on the site to check uh, that out. And uh, I was real about the indoor skydiving. They got to be they got to mean a wind tunnel. Yeah, see, see, Claire, the the reason why Mac's drawn to the skydiving is in the weekends where he's not with us diving, he's actually skydiving. So ah, that's not uncommon actually. I know quite a few divers who do skydiving as well. It seems to be a, a common common link. That and motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Mac, I, I paste that into. Uh, I, did I paste it into Skype? I thought I did. So it should be coming. Yeah, if that's a, the wind tunnel item, that's a really nice idea, uh, especially if you got any kind of place where you got traffic. So if you're going to have diving, scuba diving, that's a really nice thing. It's also safe. Uh, and unless you, has anybody done that out there? I mean, been to a skydiving tunnel? I have. If, if you get in there, it's been about ten minutes. The next day, you're going to be sore in places you didn't even know you had muscles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's what I always say about the horseback riding. Whenever we bring anybody out to ride the horses, that's what they their comment is. But for predictable reasons. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the the Iceland. And uh, for those of you who are hearing our program recorded, if you get in the chat room, we paste the the links right in there for you so you can follow along. Otherwise, you got to wait for a few days for me to get into uh, into the show notes. Uh, Iceland, uh, Iceland scuba diving images gain attention on Mail Online. Iceland scuba diving has seen great exposure in Mail Online recently published incredible images taken by British scuba diver Alex Mustard. In the article published in the Mail Online, Alex Mustard dove 80 feet into Freshwater Lake. And I'm not even going to try that one, Mac. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let somebody else try that one. Uh, <laughs> where he swam through the underdo- underwater crevice, dividing the North American Eurasian tectonic plates. According to Mail on- Online, Alex snapped away as he and his dive partner swam through freshwater canyons. That just sounds amazing. Yeah, because I've uh, we had, we had somebody in the show. Who is anybody in the chat room from Iceland? We had a couple. I know Tweetin uh, was talking about uh, some people that were up there in the the photos. You have to if you're hearing this recorded, you got to click over the show notes and see the photos. This is absolutely amazing. Oh, it, it almost looks like a click set. On the link. Click on the link to see the actual big photos. They're just stunning, aren't they? They are. That that 80 foot crevice right there, and yeah. just how clear it is, and he's quite a distance away. Uh, the area is riddled that's, with fault. That's, Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's better than Sean's visibility, actually, for sure. It says the area is riddled with faults, valleys, volcanoes, and hot springs caused by the plates pulling apart about one inch a year. So just absolutely amazing. So head on over to the show notes, take a look at that. Drool. And then if anybody's just looking for dive buddies, just look Mac or myself up or Jim and uh, let us know, and uh, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll go diving with you. 
the next one is flood recovery campaign fails to help diving firm. Paste this into the show notes. Uh, the manager of Sun Reef Scuba Diving Services, Greg Riddle, says business has declined 20% because ple- people believe the coast has been affected by flooding. The coast only experienced minor flooding earlier in the year, and tourist campaigns declaring Queensland is open for business are not helping. Um, the dive operators found it difficult to tap into promotions that various tourism bodies have run. Uh, the advertising that they're offering is way beyond his budget. So if you happen to be in that area... Uh, we'd love to hear about the dives that are going on there and, and let us know if it's uh, really open for business. It's such a shame because people are so quick to abandon uh, resorts, aren't they? They hear a bit of bad news and they think, oh, we won't go there. And it's a shame for the people who are there, especially when they don't get affected or when there is diving still happening. You know, they can't work. We had the same thing going on here with the Gulf. Long, long before any of the damage was visible in the Gulf, a lot of people yeah. are already canceling trips. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I apologize for this next leak. Anybody who clicks on it, it's going to try and play an ad. If I can get the darn thing to stop, it keeps playing in my ear. Are you talking about Candlewood? Yeah. Yeah, music. <coughs> Where do you want to go on vacation? <laughs> Wow, you got to get by that. I should have done that earlier. So, Mussels in Candlewood Lake. Oh, why in the world is this playing? Uh, back again. Ray Crawford and a highly qualified team of volunteer scuba divers preparing to make several reconnaissance dives in Candlewood Lake to look for adult zebra mussels, according to a release from the Candlewood Lake Association. Environmentalists patrolling the shoreline have found traces of thumb-sized freshwater mollusks last October but none to date have been observed in Candlewood, which I'm sure they're, they're saying is this year, the state's largest lake. Where's this at, Mac? Uh, Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they don't have zebra mussels there already. I would think they'd have something there, either that or the quaggas. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd actually have to say they've been, they've been pretty fortunate. Claire, do you have anything like that out by you in the freshwater, zebra mussels? Um, we, we don't have fresh water here. We've just got the salt water. We don't have any lakes. Oh, so okay. We don't have that issue. Um, I must admit, I could think of some nice recipes if they're trying to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for us, what, what happened is we had the zebra mussels were introduced into the Great Lakes. Oh, once it had to have been, Mac, probably about 25, 30 years ago. Correct. Right. And uh, they have spread and attached to everything. They... Uh, on the plus side, we've never had visibility as good. I mean, you can have up to 35 feet of visibility, 40 feet, where we've used to have none. Well, actually, when we go to Sheboygan, what was the vis up there, would you say, Mac? I mean, it had to have been all of 65, 70. Yeah, well, you get up there, and it's always been pretty decent when you get on the deeper wrecks, especially, you know, past 90 to 100 feet. We've had pretty good. Yeah, so before the zebra mussels came in, those were probably 10 to 15 foot. In the best. Yeah, it kept the water clean. Yeah, it cleaned up the water. They they sure they mm-hmm. suck a lot of water through uh, their bodies, but then also what they're doing yeah. is they is they you can't if you like to see wood of a wreck you don't you know unless it's something that's been exposed to the sand moves that the mussels right. were on. So it looks yeah. like Candlewood Lake is trying to determine if they've got zebra mussels. 
unfortunately, they're just so invasive that I doubt there's anything they're really going to be able to do about it, let alone uh, chemically treat the whole lake, which probably wouldn't be that cost-effective or good. No, that would probably take out everything else as well, wouldn't it? I would think so. Mm. And then our next news article, this one's out of X-Ray Magazine. Well, the picture of the ship is pretty neat. Yeah, This is a 19th century shipwreck found off of Borneo. Ship sank more than 150 years ago after visiting Singapore has been found by two Australians. That must be fantastic. I, I agree. That, that, that would have to be just absolutely amazing to, to come across to, the wreck, that, that discovery. And, and I, I noticed a quote in the article. It says, no gold, just cutlery and a few bottles of really well-aged wine. So darn, but uh, so Mac, isn't that the dream of us just to kind of go out there and find that, that huge gold treasure? Well, even what they found, I'd love to find. And the depth there is not really bad. They're only talking 40 meters. And uh, they were talking, if you read the article, they were talking about only nine minutes of bottom time. We get Sweeney out there with his rebreather, he'd be out there a couple hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd have to change out his Zorb and head back down. Uh, part-time marine archaeologist Hans and Roz Berekavon, who are married to each other, said the find was unlikely to yield any treasure as the ship had been a British cargo vessel. Uh, they said that it could add to the knowledge of trade then. Newspapers in the region reported of its loss at the time, but interest faded, and the wreck was abandoned to its fate. And then in 1950s, uh, published a series of articles on survival struggle to be- reach Borneo titled A Perilous Sea Voyage, uh, and it provided keys to finding the wreck. Yeah, something about a detailed log one of them had done in their diary. So they spent five days in the archives working out the route the survivors took. The diarist kept a detailed log, tracing the route backwards, and they were able to find the wreck of 25 minutes of dropping anchor. That's incredible. I mean, that that's like taking an arrow, firing an air, and getting a bullseye 100 miles away. Just yeah. absolutely amazing. Holy one. Well, I reckon that's where you come in to say a detailed logbook. Yeah, yeah. That, that'd be nice to find one of those. You know, we keep we keep searching the museums, hoping to get something like that. Uh, we, we're still searching for that Chikora. Each time I after, find, go I ahead. Say, I'd like to find the bomber myself. We have a pretty good idea where that one is. I, I, this is the year. I think we're going to find that bomber out in the lake. I, I'm positive of it. I do too. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, and then uh, Dave in the chat room said Mill Burke and VA was chem-treated to kill zebra mussels. That's back in the article a few times ago. It worked, but it killed Viz, too. Well, we know in Pawpaw Lake that uh, they try and do some weed control, and that's like diving in uh, a salad. Yeah, last year, uh, about this time, they did that, that purge of the, uh, the water. Remember, we went out there about a week later, and visibility was even worse than it is today. Yeah. Well, when we get into that part of the show, we'll have to find out what kind of visibility you were you were running into. <laughs> uh, and then this next article, this is a follow-up of the one that we've had going on for a few weeks. Uh, scuba diving may be restricted to Big Bay Point. Before jumping into a new set of diving restrictions, council will wait to hear some community feedback. Um uh, they're talking about a ban for scuba diving for non-residents and restrict the practice of public docks on long weekends between May and September. 
uh, during a, a meeting last week under proposal, which will be debated at the council meeting on May 18th, which uh, is coming up in a little less than a week if you're hearing this recorded. Divers will be prohibited from jumping from public areas throughout the town with the exception of 30 feet side road government dock. Uh, divers would also be required to obtain group permits. Now, doesn't this story just kind of seem to change every week, different elements of this one come out? I'd still like to hear the diver version, and it doesn't say anything about diving off a boat, meaning if you get in your boat and you go off dinghy or otherwise, is that an issue? So they don't say anything about boat diving. Yeah. Well, this is the first article I've seen where they said ban scuba diving for non-residents. So if you're a resident of the town, you can dive all you want? I haven't a clue. Even then, it looks like it's going to cost you 60 to 100 bucks. And a separate recommendation uh, would have attempted to address parking concerns. This is the one that you were talking about last week as well. Um, I think we're going to have to have somebody on from here, from down there. wonder if we can locate, if anybody knows anybody, any scuba divers in that area who can give us uh, their angle on it. It would be interesting to hear. Uh, the way they're being portrayed in the media is that uh, a bunch of rowdy, crazy people. Well, that actually does sound like a lot of divers, doesn't it? <laughs> you mean skydivers or uh, scuba divers? Well, probably both. So we'll, we'll keep following that story That story as it, as it develops. And then here's this next one. Scuba diver sets new record, new depth record for exploring New Zealand cave. Uh, that guy has got a lot of, you know what? 633 feet? Yeah, three, yeah, 636 feet. Yeah. In a cave, even. That yeah. takes some fortitude. <laughs> that, that's what got me, the cave aspect. Yeah. Going that deep. And also, I know you have an in, invisible feeling anyway when you're tech diving, but still actually having a physical feeling that there's no way of going up. Yeah, so you're that deep into a cave. That's quite, quite something else, really, isn't it? It is. Uh, diver Craig Challen descended to a depth of 194 meters, which is about 636 feet, as he cautiously made his way along the submerged cave. That marked uh, that depth marked a record, but still didn't finish exploring the cave, nor did it lead to discovery of the river's source. But it did show that explorers can go to even greater depths than previously thought possible. So it looks like National Geographic will probably have a show on this. So I have to keep my eyes open to make sure that we get to see it. Uh, they, as they dove, they were looking for new life forms or mapping the caves itself. Water hovered around 43 degrees Fahrenheit, which would have Ooh. to be probably, what, about 3 degrees Celsius? So, uh, uh, you know, and at that depth, did they say... Mac, did you see, it looks like they're doing a little rebreathers? You'd have to be to do uh, It looks like it. Uh, what I thought was interesting is they made what they call underwater base camps. Uh-huh. So I, I'm not sure if that meant they did a bell or if they just went down and, and put catches of, of breathing gas someplace. So they had a place to go to so they didn't have to suddenly go all the way back up to, you know, 120 feet or so. It almost... Oh, Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'd imagine it would be the gas because um, I have a friend of mine, Lee Cunningham, who did a deep dive here, and he ended up with about 10 tanks attached to him. And uh, so if you're in a cave, you know you're coming out that way, and it's perfect. You can have little sages where you can have your gas to change on the sage you carrying it. It would save them a lot of effort, I would imagine. 
Yeah, yep. it it almost appeared like they were doing it similar to how you do a saturation dive. Well, it that, that yeah. definitely is a sat dive. Yeah. And so, if you look at the video there, he's got that is a rebreather, and you can see his uh, his his uh, bailout bottles on his chest, left and right. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they must have their extra gas bottles set up on a stage somewhere, or, or you know, in a different area that they can get to that. They've got plenty of gas. Well, I, I know in Florida they they'll frequently do that when you see people set the records. Yeah, it's like anything else, uh, like Everest. You know, you've got the Sherpas who actually did all the work, and then you got the people getting the record, kind of just go from spot to spot that somebody set up, and it appears not to diminish the the accomplishment that he's had, but I'm guessing that's what they've done is that they probably do a lot of prep of getting all these bottles staged so that when they actually go and and try for the final depths uh, that they can get the most time possible to to get down there. Yeah, I noticed they weren't yeah. using there, and I know in Florida for a lot of the cave work, especially the uh, penetrations, not necessarily deep, but laterally, uh, the scooters come in, you know, really handy. I didn't see any evidence of scooter use for this one. No, I I, I didn't see anything, but uh, then we're only going to get a little bit of a tease, so it'll be exciting to see that when it comes out on National Geographic. And a little to that. I'm, I'm sorry, Claire, what was that? I said I look forward to that one. And then one of the final articles we have tonight in the news is uh, a tour bus discovered. And this one out of China, divers found a wreck thought to be a lost tour bus. Yolang Scuba Diving Society recently discovered wreckage suspected to be from the Hurarla tour bus accidentally caused by Typhoon Maggie last October, according to the Yilan District Prosecutor's Office. On October 22nd of 2010, Typhoon Meggy uh, had landslides that washed a tour bus down the valley uh, at 114-kilometer mark on the highway. Almost seven months after the accident, 23 people are still missing, uh, presumed dead, including the mainland tour guide. Uh, the tour bus driver, 17 tours from mainland China and two resident society, claimed to have discovered a two-meter-long transmission shaft which connected the four giant reels, reels, wheels on coral reefs at a depth of 15 meters. Uh, prosecutor Lin Chi Hu said yesterday afternoon that parts of the lost bus were already salvaged at the end of 2010. Uh, whether or not a record discovered in the other seas part of the bus or whether it needs to be salvaged would depend on the, the tour company and the Directorate General of Highways. Finding the bus would be okay. I wouldn't want to find any of the other remains. Thank you. No. Well, I'm just kind of wondering is how – I was expecting that they would have found more. I'd be curious to see how far the highway is where they had the landslide to the water. Yeah. How far out is 15 meters of depth. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard to tell. And not having – I mean, in China is so huge. There's such a change in geography one spot to another. But I'm picturing – just a huge rocky valley, uh, you know, with these these little tiny trails that vehicles are trying to pass on that are really one lane wide. And then this week in some potentially cool scuba gear, and this is one I didn't vet out, so I might get burned on this one. This is uh, a press release, which I don't like to do, but still looking for that good underwater camera. Now, now Claire, do you do any? 
photography underwater? Um, I do some, and I, to be honest, I don't have time to do that much uh, because we don't get to do that much fun diving on our own. And obviously, for guiding or teaching, we have to be concentrating on our students. So we're not allowed to take our own cameras down to you know get involved taking photographs too much. But I do a little bit and uh, a little point and shoot camera, and I can do the white balance. So in the shallows, I can get some quite nice little shots. But um, it will be good to get the chance to do some really cool stuff at some point. Yeah, and then you must be able to get some amazing shots, even with a point and shoot. Yeah, I'm, I've been quite impressed with the pictures I've managed to get, even, as I said, with this little point and shoot camera. Uh, they're quite cool. Yeah. Again, the visibility helps and the sunshine helps as well, obviously. Well, this particular camera, this is, uh, let's get back to the good stuff, uh, new diving camera, uh, Tac Tachyon Micro Dive Cam. Okay, recording is on. Everybody in the chat room, can you hear us back? Ah, uh, yep, they're they're talking about it. We got shipwreck Mike is back. Uh, boy, we I think this has to be a record chat room. It's scrolling off the screen, in the bottom. So if you're you're hearing this record and you're missing out, you have to make it in the chat room. And we're, and we're even missing quite a few regulars. So uh, we'll see what goes. But back on to the the HD dive camera, the Tachyon uh, Micro Dive Cam. Uh, says that they, of course they're going to say in a press release that they shoot crystal clear very, uh, video and uh, dazzling at h27p, um, 135 degree angle lens. Uh, they say with the uh, lithium batteries you get two and a half hours of hands-free underwater footage depths at over 100 feet. So about right on the edge of uh, what we're diving. Um, that sounds a bit like a camera that a friend of mine used a few weeks ago, a head-mounted little camera, and he just videoed the whole dive. It came mm. out great. See? Yeah. It, it was, was that the one where it was built into the, the mask? No, actually, I'm just, I just finally managed to look on the nick. No, it was a little, like, just separately head-mounted camera. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the one built into the mask, probably not so much quality, to be honest. Yeah, because uh, what was that one that uh, I, I probably say this every week the, that Bob had? You remember Mac? No, I don't. Not right off. Yeah, I've looked that one back up, but he had he had a small one uh, that he put in a case, and the reason he liked it is that the housing he put it in, he could take it down to about 300 feet or about 100 meters. Uh, so this will be another interesting one to see. Take a look at. I'm still deciding. I, I want to equip everybody in the dive club with cameras so that we can get some some good video. So that does it for the news. So we're going to do a slip right on into the next section of the show where we talk about our dives from last week. And anybody wondering where Jim was uh, or is, uh, he's going to be back in the program. Don't worry. He's just been extremely busy. I've, I've talked to him. Uh, in fact, uh, as we'll find out later in the show, we've got some dives lined up. But uh, last week, now, now Mac, you did some uh, pop-up. Well, you, how many dives have you gotten in since last week? I don't know. You Couple. lost count? Yeah, it's like, what day is it? Depending on where I'm at. Uh, those are tired guys, I tell you. So uh, it is Thursday. So uh, I saw you had at least a couple pawpaw dive, lake dives in. Yeah, I've been out there with the kayak over to uh, one of the old purveying areas, checking it out, see what I can scrounge up. Uh, we did go out to um, Pipestone Lake. That's where we were diving yesterday. Uh, we were sort of looking for a motor which always makes it interesting. But uh, actually, the water was warm there. I mean, you didn't have to have your uh, your 
three finger mitts on, you could have five fingers, and you didn't even need gloves in the shallows. So when you say warm, well, of course you don't have a gauge. No, it's I didn't freeze, and I didn't you have didn't to freeze. use the hot water. So Mac not freezing, I would have to say that is probably fifty. Okay, <laughs> at least fifty. Uh, Fifty-five. It it was nice. It was eighty-seven on the surface. It well, was that, a freaking hot day. Now the the rough thing with that is you almost don't want to prime because you you want to feel the cool water fill your wetsuit. Oh man, we just about got in before we uh, got the tanks on because we were just sweating like little pigs. Oh, it's nice to see we finally hit that time of the year, and we'll get well, some. Well, that's of a shallow lake too. Uh, it's a little different though. It's um, the water there looks like weak tea. It's like a tannic acid. It's almost brown. So we thought the viz was really going to suck when we got down there. Uh, the uh, lily pads are really up, and you know how they come up maybe 10 feet? They're really thick. But fortunately, everywhere we dive was off the slope, so we're in greater than 10 feet. But it was only like 25, 30 maximum, so it warmed up a lot out there. Did you, you have a, a thermocline going? Uh, there's a couple of places, and I think uh, when it got cold there, it was because it must have been an underground spring. Ah, that makes uh, sense. We were out at the Wajak River on Tuesday uh, doing some metal detecting and work, and we found some springs out there that fed into the Dwajak River. That's cold there. So so what is this this lake again? Uh, this is Pipestone. Pipestone. Now, right. We did the uh, some of the ice dives, uh, New Year's ice dives out there a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah, I'm just not picturing where that is. I mean, I, I, I know where Pipestone Road is. I just don't know where that lake is. So I'll, I'll look it up, and we'll, I'll post a Google map in the show notes to anybody who wants to kind of follow along to see where you were diving. So you had uh, Pipestone Lake. Uh, where else did you get in? Well, we did. I've been doing pawpaw, and then we did Pipestone. Well, of course, we did Indian. We're going to do Indian again tomorrow morning. We're going to go ahead and try to relocate that buoy, uh, that boat and buoy it. Uh, a lot of people didn't realize there's a really nice tour boat under the muck out there offshore. Now, now that was the one with the steam engine? Yeah, that's the one that's got the the uh, steam engine. I've got pictures of it in construction. I've got pictures when it was in its heyday. And we're, we're talking to some older gentlemen out there that said when they were kids, they used to ice skate, and the stack was just slightly above the ice, which oh. meant it's got to be in less than 20 feet of water. So I'm hoping the stack, if that were true, that the engine's still there. I mean, why have a stack if the engine's not there? Yeah, it seems like even if they salvaged the boiler, they wouldn't have just left the stack there. Right. They, well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't leave the stack because the stack is not going to stand up if it's not through the boiler. Right. Well, that could so, be interesting. It could be, a, it could be a, little, a little nice wreck, unfortunately. It's, but... if, if it is nice and half decent, uh, that would be something to bring up. If we can get a sponsor, because we've got the history of it. We know when it was really, you know, when it was built. Um, you know, we did a little bit of research the week before. Actually, spent a couple of days researching and getting photographs and stuff. And that could be sort of fun. It does. Well, also, um, it sounds like it could be a potential nice dive for an ice dive if we don't bring it up. Yep. Because if uh, you could. Especially if we can get permission to do a shore dive from it. Because right now we're having to use a Zodiac to get to it. Yeah, so we could actually, if we could get that permission, do a shore dive. Of course, in the IFA, I guess you could, maybe we could bribe somebody with a snowmobile to take us out there. But I'm just thinking that would be, now that was the one that you did the uh, bottom profile on? Yep, and this time I made sure the card is in it. So <laughs> try to go back and get that. 
because uh, the funny thing happened over at Pipestone because we were scanning for the objects is we were getting the sub-bottom release because there's so much silt on the bottom. We were actually getting below it and seeing stuff. So when you went down, it's like there's nothing there until you put your hand through three-foot of muck, and then you can find it. Well, um, that that sounds exciting. Anytime we can get another another rack to dive in lake, because it'd be nice fallback plan for when we can't get out in the on the big lake again. So so was that your dives? Yep. Again, pawpaw and pipestone. Well, I, I I finally did get the first wreck dive of the season, at least for us, out on Lake Michigan. Only two months late. Finally had uh, some good weather. Went out with Bob, Kurt, and uh, Jim S. Uh, we, we went out, uh, went out in Bob's, uh, rigid hull inflatable and waves were zero to one feet. We had a um, nice sunny day, a little nippy. You still had to have, uh, a windbreaker on, but, uh, Bob was able to, uh, with four of us on his, his Zodiac, be able to get that up to about 22 miles an hour. So we, we made some good time. We went out to a dive site. It was about a half an hour ride. Um, it was, it was a little sunny, but then as we went down, it clouded up. Uh, this this was uh, an object that we're surveying, and it was in 70 feet of water. My, my gauge read 73. Everybody else had 72. Uh, Mac, did you did you hear it at all about the dive? Yep, I got a little details. I talked to Bob today. Uh huh. And it's basically like you guys were saying. Uh, he basically said by the time he got down there, he found it by running into it. Okay. Now, now Jim S. isn't listening, so I can go ahead and blame him. But uh, we were the two wetsuit divers. No, I, he was a dry suit. I was wetsuit. So, uh, but we went down and buddied together. Uh, went down the anchor line, and uh, uh, before he went in, Bob said, "Bob has an award for the most gear on a diver," and he said that Jim now earned it, and he was going to give up his T-shirt. So that gives you an idea what Jim had. He had. You know, he has that gauge plate he's got, which is probably about two and a half feet long. He had extra gauges connected to it. He had a computer that his son, who uh, is diving in the tropics, sent back up, said, Dad, it's not working. Uh, he had a slate, which the slate had to be had to be uh, about two and a half feet by a foot high. I mean, it was it was more like a small TV <laughs> that he had with him. <laughs> he was all he was doing staging it for the next time we get on that object uh, he left a few other tools there also on the way back so we don't have to carry him down next time oh but he had everything so so anyway we uh he, he went down the line first i followed him and uh he, he got to the bottom before i did but we were still off the wreck bob using the gps coordinates we had he put that anchor right in the middle of that object and uh it, it was just about perfect uh i i was up over the bottom and uh, did pretty good. I went down one side, Jim went down the other, and uh, he had so much stuff dragging. He was he was putting a line to do take some measurements. And the bottom on it is kind of a clay. It's a little bit different than what I'm accustomed to seeing, which is sand. And even touching zebra mussels brought up a cloud. So after about okay. ten minutes, after about 10 minutes down there, the viz went from, I would say it was maybe 9 to 12 feet uh, or uh, 3 to 4 meters, and it went to literally uh, 6 inches or, you know, just about a dozen centimeters. So, yeah, and then at that point I was debating. I still had 1,000 pounds in my tank, and I said, you know what, 
it's time just to go up. And then Bob and Kurt went down. Bob's uh, diving the rebreather, and Kurt's got the one the 119. So what they did is they put a line on the anchor, went out to the end, to the edge, and then swam around. And after about 15, 20 minutes, uh, things cleared up enough to where they could see again. But it was great to, to get back out there. And uh, I had water temperature was 39 Fahrenheit. And others had 44, so uh, I'll, I'll let them say it was 44. But uh, on the bottom, I didn't really feel a thermocline, but Jim said that he really noticed it, Jim S. So, I would have thought you would have been a wetsuit. You know, I would have thought so too. Yeah, wetsuit, yeah. But uh, it just, it, it's, I, I think there might have been, but it's just not sharp yet. You know, after the week, week of warm weather like we've had now, then it really should start to form up. So I imagine we've probably got one uh, about 20 to 30 feet or 10 meters starting. Well, you'll be able to tell us uh, next week because I believe you are going to go out again Saturday. They're looking at the uh, Rockaway and then kicking back up a little north of that and going to the Veronica. The Veronica? Verano. Verano, yes. Yep. Yep. Now, now Claire, what kind of, you know, now to put us all to shame, what kind of dives have you gotten in this week? I have done about eight dives this week. Um, I did a scuba review early on in the week, which is off the beach. And we're very lucky we've got like a little lagoon that traps off an area which makes it like a natural confined area where we could do the skills. And then we take our divers off a little open water dive off there. And that was quite amazing. We've got a seagrass meadow there and we've got a couple of huge green turtles that hang out there. So they've been chilling out there lately. And um, then I was guiding for the rest of the week. So you kind of start off on a local gentle dive to give everyone a chance to get settled in. And that's the first day. And then on, after that, we start going to the more challenging dive sites. So I've been Ras Mohammed and Siran and checking out all the fish there. And gutted to say that the one dive I sat out was the dive that they all saw white tip weed sharks. Oh. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite cool. We um, dived Jackson Reef in Sharan, which is renowned for its garden. Uh, it's got a fantastic, colourful garden from about, from, well, the garden probably stretches down to about 20, 25 metres. And you can be there thinking you're at 12 metres because visibility is so clear. And, um, and some other friends of mine dived that same site a couple of days ago, not me again, and saw whale shark on the back of it. So I've been a bit shark-free this week, which is a shame. The um, other stuff has been absolutely gorgeous. And it's that time of year, everything's starting to build. And the site I mentioned the other day, Shark and Yolanda Reefs, they get big shoals of fish in the summer. And we saw them just beginning this week for the first time. See a few little snappers all gathered together and a little bundle of surgeon fish on the garden of Yolanda, so that's quite exciting for us because that's the sign that everything's going to be building up and coming in and we're all going to be diving there looking for the big things again. So that's something that's quite nice, but I feel quite guilty. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds amazing. Now, the, these fish, so I have an idea what size are they? Are they just like little, little um, guys? A whole variety, to be honest. We get all, what, Sean, oh, what the Red Sea is famous for is we get little orange fish called anthias. They're kind of, um, um, oh, God, they're the same family as the chromis and all, and all that. And they look like little flames on the reef. They're bright orange and they're just everywhere, swarms of them. 
And if the current's running quite fast, they're really swimming into currents. They all come out to play. But we get everything. The surgeon fish are a good sort of foot, foot and a half long. The two turtles that we've been getting on our house reef lately are huge. They're, I mean, I've got that, there's a photograph of a friend. She's that same height as me. And the turtle is the length of her. It is enormous. Which is, I'm, I'm quite short. I'm, you know, about five foot and a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's about five foot long, this turtle. Huge. And obviously, then you do get um, stuff like the odd shark sighting, which apparently the white pit shark they saw was, again, quite a large one. It was um, sort of five, six feet long. Yeah, actually, maybe a bit longer. Maybe seven or eight. Which sadly, I didn't get to see. <laughs> oh, definitely jealous. Yeah, it's safe when you guys have to come out sometime and have a little dive out here. It's very nice. Very nice. So, how... Now, how far do you know what kind of dives you're going to have the next week? Do they pretty much repeat, or are you going to have something? Uh, um, like- we, we work 24 hours in advance, so basically I'm on a day off tomorrow, and I'll get a phone call about lunchtime telling me what I'm doing the next day. So I could be teaching, so I could be either in the swimming pool or in the shallows, or I could be um, off-guiding. The, usually you start on the local reefs again. They try to keep the same dives with a group of divers for the week. So if you start on a Monday guiding level, whatever day it is, <laughs> guiding on a local dive site, you'll generally stay with that group of divers. So you know them and you, you know their abilities, so you know what they want to do as well. So you kind of, we try to work it so that you spend a week with your divers or the divers get to spend a week with the, the same guide. And it, it makes a nicer week really, because you obviously build up a bit of rapport and you know what to expect from the divers, and they know what to expect from you. That sounds like a good way to do it. Good. it you, yeah, it works well. It does work well. Well, let's see. Mac, how about you? What, what kind of dives have you got planned? Well, I think you guys are going to hit those two wrecks, I said. Uh, tomorrow we're going to go out, try to scan, pick up that boat there at Indian Lake, and then... Uh, Saturday, I'd like to go back out searching for that engine at Pipestone and uh, sort of play it by ear from there. Got to plug in some jump in someplace. <laughs> but the weather sucks, so I go diving. <laughs> so you, you go diving one way or another? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, so, so the, yeah, the dive that we've got planned for this week, this week is going to be uh, the Rockaway which is a, an old schooner that went down in the eight, the late 1800s, mostly a rubble wreck, a few timbers left, and uh, they got a nice little center keel box that uh, usually has home for a couple large catfish that we can peek in. Uh, you can shine lights underneath some of the deck boards, and let's see, this time of year we should have some nice fry. Uh, I don't know what type of fish they are, but uh, they're... They're, they're starting off in little tiny huddles. And that's also the wreck, if you remember from last year, we we found that ball. Remember that, Mac? That little kind yes. of rolling yep. ball. So uh, I'm not – I think later on you found it. That was just kind of a mass of weeds. But uh, if we find one, we'll have to have to explore that a little bit farther. Right. There is a picture of that on our website too, though. You have to track down under the treasures to find it. Yeah. So that's on the mudclub.scubaobsessed.com website if anybody wants to see what we're talking about. So that's the Rockway. That's a good warm-up 
warm-up dive for the season as far as rock diving. That one's probably in, oh, if I can remember, without looking, it's got to be about 50 feet. Uh, no, that one's in 70-odd feet there. Oh, 70-odd 70 70 feet, so the same as my dive from last year. Yes. Yep, and then uh, the Verano, which I have not been on, so I'm really not sure what I'm going to see. I understand that this is, is probably a later wreck, and it's a little bit more spread out, isn't it? Isn't that near the clay banks? That's, yeah, that's correct. That's also shallower. Yeah, so that will be our second dive, so we're going to do a two-tank boat dive. And it looks like we've got three boats lined up for uh, going out this time. So as the weather gets warmer, we get more divers, so... We have a nice little flotilla that will be going out to those. And then these are just warm-up dives for people who are trying to find a reason to get out in the area and dive with us. Uh, the following week, I believe, is going to be go up to uh, – the, the following week will be a bye week, it sounds like. And then the week after that will be uh, the Ironsides, which is about 125 feet of water or 100 meters uh, and that one's a nice double boiler wreck that's slowly starting to break down. So it'll be interesting to see what the winter did to it this year. Uh, when you said slowly, if you'd have been there 10 years ago, you'd have had a penetration wreck. Now you got nothing. It's all rubble. You say it's nothing. That's still a good wreck in my book. Oh, uh, no, guess- it's, it's a good rubble wreck compared to what else we got. But just 10 years ago, you actually had hull standing up. Yeah. Well, you got the two uh, arch center beams that are leaning against each other, and just to come down, that was one, that was uh, a nice wreck when you're coming down the line to see that open up before you. So uh, not not a bad one. Uh, so we'll do that, and then the, then that's kind of a warm up for the uh, Ann Arbor Five, which if you're a tech diver or if you have tech diver friends, it kind of lives in the in between. Uh, the top of that one is about 119 feet. So what I do is I hit right there at the edge of that recreational distance, swim around, see those big propellers. Uh, that is an old uh, rail uh, cargo carrier that is that was scrapped and drove into the bottom. So I don't know, what, what angle would you say that is? About a 60-degree angle penetrating right. the bottom? It, it, yeah, it's a high angle because uh, if you hit the props, you're at about 130. And very easily, if you're not careful, you'll be down to 175 feet. And then if you go inside the wreck, you can go deeper because it impinged the mud. So you can actually go inside and go below the mud level. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite to that point yet, at least not this year. I have to get a little bit of uh, so. But what's the bottom? Is that like 180? I believe it's 180, 175, 180. Okay. Yeah. And that one's nice. A, a nice photo op. If you want to have a photo op on a wreck, that one's that one's nice with the nice big props. In fact, we've got uh, on our YouTube video, you head over to scubaobsessed.com, look on the right side. We've got our video links. And you can actually see video of some of the club members on that wreck. So that's an interesting one. And I know that Rich from Diver Sync wants to dive it. So we'll have to post that date to encourage him to come over. That'd be great for him to come. And then we've also got the Muskegon that we're going to be doing some dives on here coming up in the summer. And, and then whatever you, Oh, and the barge and crane that same weekend as we do Ann Arbor barge and crane, that's at a hundred and all that. I think the bottom's 130 there. And then the top of the barge, the it's a barge flipped upside down with a crane on the deck. So it kind of props it up. So the top of that's probably 110, 115 to the deepest about 130 so you can kind of do a, a lap around there so it's a good excuse for me to get some gear and update my lights and get some practice in and 
and maybe even get a dry suit. That might happen again this summer as well. It'll be okay to see then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, at that that depth, I don't think we get much above uh, 100, uh, not 140, above uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That's yeah. a couple of thermoclines down, but uh, visibility is, is, has been pretty good when we've been on those, provided you don't have a storm coming in or going out. Well, I think we've just about done it to another episode. Um, head on over to iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe if you're just listening to this live off the website, which is fine, too. We don't mind that at all. But if you want to subscribe, you can do it on iTunes. It's also available on different devices. You can get it on the Zune store or in the BlackBerry.com. They have their their feed, so you can download the podcast. Also, you visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And again, the scuba obsessed website, www.scubaobsessed.com. And then what's your website, Claire, that people can find you at? It's, it's www.divebunny.com. And Dive Bunny is spelled with uh, IE, as in bunnies without the S. And it's where women divers can find out more about diving and get inspired, basically. Great. Great. So, and, and thanks for for coming on. We certainly appreciate it, and we'll we'll. we'll oh, def- it's been great chatting to you guys. Really yeah. cool. Yeah, and, so, and, and hopefully we haven't caused you too much pain by being up this this no. early. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be all right. Yep. I'll fall back to sleep in a minute. <laughs> and then, as always, guys, anybody in the chat room who wants to come on the divers roundtable after the show, we can do a few minutes. It will probably be pretty short tonight because I've got to get this all edited before I go to bed to get up in the morning. So, But uh, just go ahead and do a shout-out of your Skype name in TalkShoe, or if you're using TalkShoe Pro <laughs> and you're logged in, we can always, you don't have to bother with Skype. We can just unmute you, uh, and that's always an option. I want so. one of those Dive Bunny T-shirts, so those nice. Those are very nice. They look good on both. <laughs> 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 I have a friend who has a pink one. He looks very cool, very swish. Yeah, it takes a real man to wear pink, I tell you. That's what I say. I'll take one of the pink ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, are are we ready for the bad scuba joke of the week? Never ready, but go for it. Yeah. Go on, then. Well, Mac, I'm going to blame you because I, I took one of your jokes and I modified it, so it's actually your fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now you're worried. So Is that every, the doc joke? You'll find out here in a minute. So, uh... Everybody, this is your warning. And then uh, here we go. So we have five scuba diving surgeons are on holiday discussing who are the best patients to operate on. The first surgeon says, I like to see accountants on my operating table because when you open them up, everything inside is numbered. The second surgeon responds, yeah, but you should try electricians. Everything inside them is color-coded. The third surgeon says, no, no, really think librarians are the best. Everything inside them is in alphabetical order. Now the fourth surgeon chimes in. He says, you know, I like construction workers. Those guys always understand that you have a few parts left over at the end, and when the job takes longer than you said it would, they're okay with that. And finally, the last scuba diving surgeon uh, shut them all up when he observed. He says, you're all wrong. Politicians are the easiest to operate on. They have no guts, no heart, no brain, and no spine. And they only have two moving parts, the mouth and the rear end. And they're both interchangeable.
Well, see, I like that one. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd be a little biased on that one, Matt. <laughs> so, on that one, on behalf of myself, Mac, Claire, and our absent uh, buddy, Jim Kleeman, uh, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Yes, hopefully. Keep diving. Dive Mistress, you brave enough to come on? <laughs> Ted, Dave, sure. So you have, you have a, I've, I've unmuted you, Dive Mistress. Do you have a headset? Uh, uh, can you hear me? We can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, hello. How are you? Hi, Claire. Hello. How are you? Claire and I have been chatting over Twitter for quite some time, so and sort of following each other's um, dives and and things like that from opposite ends of the world. So when I saw that she was joining the talk today, I thought I'd um, jump on in and have a listen while I packed up my dive gear for the weekend. Wow. Uh, thank you for the support. That's really cool. <laughs> So, so, so you have a lovely New Zealand accent. Thank you. So, uh, so where, where are you diving this weekend? 